0: Spirit 88.9 FM, Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning, I'm Bruce McGregor. She is? Chris McGregor. And on the phone with us this morning, we are absolutely delighted to have Avery Cardinal Dulles with us, currently the Lawrence J. McGinley Professor of Religion and Society at Fordham University, a position he has held since 1988, presently an advisor to the Committee on Doctrine of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops the grandson of a Presbyterian minister and the son of John Foster Dulles, the former Secretary of State under President Dwight D. Eisenhower. He entered the Jesuit order ordained to the priesthood in 1956 by Francis Cardinal Spellman, and after spending a year in Germany, went on to study at the Gregorian University in Rome, awarded the doctorate in Sacred Theology in 1960, made a cardinal of the Catholic Church in Rome February 21, 2001 by Pope John Paul II is uh, the author of over 700 articles and 22 books on theological topics. Cardinal Dulles, past president of both the Catholic Theological Society of America and the American Theological Society. And we are delighted to have you with us this morning, sir. Thank you so very, very much for joining us.
1: It's my pleasure to be with you.
0: Now, we want to talk a little bit about the book, uh, A History of Apologetics. Now, the first edition of this book actually came out in 1971. At that point, it wasn't really widely disseminated. Uh, now it's been updated and expanded. First, uh, Eminence, why did you write the book to begin with, and then why did you revise it?
1: Well, the book was part of a project uh, uh, that grew out of the uh, New Catholic Encyclopedia. They made a great deal of money on the New Catholic Encyclopedia, and they decided to follow it up with a theological encyclopedia. And since I had written somewhat in the field of apologetics and was interested in it, They asked me to do the article on apologetics, which was supposed to be two volumes. First volume on the history of apologetics and the second volume on contemporary apologetics. Well, the the project failed uh, uh, for reasons I can't really recount. But uh, the book went out of print almost immediately after being published because the uh, publisher Went out of business and had to destroy the existing copies. <laughs> oh, right. So it, that's the reason it wasn't widely disseminated at the time.
2: In a way, it's been a blessing that we have it today with such a resurgence of the concept of apologetics in the life of the church. And right. looking at the history yes. is so important, isn't it?
1: It really was at a nadir in around 1971. Uh, people. Uh, Uh, couldn't talk about apologetics except in negative terms. Uh, And today it has rebounded, as you say, uh, and people realize the importance of being able to give reasons for the faith that is in us.
2: What's so wonderful about your writings, Cardinal Dulles, is that you always use history to teach us and to help point us into the direction for the future. And with apologetics... It's important to look at that history so that we can grow it and develop and allow the Spirit to move. And apologetics essentially began with the birth of the Church, didn't it?
1: Yes, really. You could say that the New Testament itself contains a great deal of apologetics. And nearly all the great theologians like uh, Thomas Aquinas and Augustine and uh, Newman and others, all were uh, developed uh, theories of apologetics, uh, so uh, uh, I think, really, if you go to great theologians, find some of the best apologetics.
2: And I was really struck, in those first apologists, the apostles, what they really spoke to, and you point out, was their personal testimony. Yes. Was their apologetics.
1: Yes, but they also uh, used arguments, uh, let's say, when they were talking to Jews, they tried to prove from the Jewish scriptures that Christ had fulfilled the prophecies and types of the Old Testament and so forth. Uh, So they did give arguments, and they gave arguments uh, to prove that uh, Jesus really was the Son of God, that he had risen from the dead, and, uh, you know, they recounted all the testimonies in favor of people whom he had appeared. Uh, so they gave reasons for believing.
2: After the death of the apostles and the growth of the church, apologetics kind of had a shift, didn't it, to deal with other cultures?
1: Yes, indeed. I suppose to begin with, it was mostly defensive trying to prove uh, uh, that Christians were not guilty of all the crimes they were being accused of, that they did obey the laws of the Roman Empire and shouldn't be executed for their faith. Uh, but gradually it became more positive as they grew in numbers and encountered the uh, philosophies and uh, culture of uh, Greece and Rome.
0: Spirit 88.9 FM, Catholic Radio for the Christian community. Good morning, Bruce McGregor and Chris McGregor here at the morning show on Spirit FM. We are just delighted to have with us this morning our guest, Avery Cardinal Dulles, A History of Apologetics, his book, Ignatius Press, Originally uh, coming out in 1971, the book has been updated and revised.
2: What was so wonderful about reading this, because apologetics really does walk hand-in-hand hand with the history of the early church. Yes,
1: yeah. And, of course, the, the great uh, philosophies, they, the way they used uh, Plato and uh, Aristotle and Plotinus and so forth, it has, uh, helps to build uh, a systematic understanding of Christian faith.
2: You talk about Augustine, who once again is someone who is not only a great apologist, but also a great theologian, and he's the first one who really blends the two.
1: Yes, yeah. His book on the city of God, which is a huge book, is mostly uh, apologetics, you might say.
2: Exactly. We move into the Middle Ages, and it's a time when the faith is taken for granted, essentially, wouldn't you say? Uh,
1: In uh, the circles he moved in, although there was more controversy than you might think because uh, uh, the Averroists were at work uh, in the universities, and uh, then uh, his uh, great apologetical work, uh, he called the Summa Contra Gentiles, the Summary of Christian Doctrine Against the Pagans, you might say. It was really written, uh, at least many people think it was written, as a handbook for Christian missionaries to the Muslims in Spain.
2: And that was a time when the rise of Islam was occurring in the world.
1: Yes, and
2: they put... What I would like to try to understand is what happened in the 19th century after all these years of apologetics, and it's so strong something happened. Could you help break that open for us, where apologetics almost became a bad word, or something that we could no longer, became useful in the life of the Church? Mm -hmm. Well, uh,
1: I would think even in the 19th century, apologetics was developing quite vigorously on new fronts, because you had uh, new uh, uh, opposition to the Church coming from science and scientific history, so they had to get more positivistic in their understanding of the faith and uh, develop, uh, uh, interact with science and history. But uh, I think perhaps they uh, tended to exaggerate uh, the uh, ability of reason to demonstrate the truth of the faith, and uh, some theologians uh, said you're ignoring the grace of God And uh, you're making it all too rational, and you're forgetting about uh, uh, the way in which uh, God attracts us uh, to himself uh, interiorly, for which we can't really really give reasons, reasons of the heart, but not reasons of the mind. And so there was a reaction against apologetics, uh, uh, which was not entirely uh, uh, mistaken. Carl Bartram may have been one of the greatest theologians of the early 20th century, and he was very much opposed to apologetics, though in a curious kind of way, he did apologetics (laughs) while opposing it.
2: So maybe in that apologetics, they tried to promise or try to deliver too much.
1: Yes, yes. I think that's We have to remember that faith is a mystery, and uh, even conversion does not take place simply by the use of the intellect and uh, uh, by rational inquiry, but uh, we have to pray and receive the grace of God and allow our hearts to be transformed, otherwise we do not really become believers. And the great apologists have always recognized that.
0: That's very true. Your Eminence, what have you learned firsthand pretty much about the, the strengths and weaknesses of Christian efforts, both Catholics and Protestant, to make the case for Christianity, especially in recent years?
1: Well, that's a big question with many aspects to it. I huh? well, think and Catholic apologetics have been quite different, uh, although we couldn't learn a great deal from each other, and that's why I try in my book to do it somewhat ecumenically too. Uh, show how Protestants really are our allies in many ways in, uh, in trying to show the credibility of the Christian message and the, uh, the lordship of Jesus Christ. So we have a lot to learn from them, but uh, they, uh, uh, many of them, at least in this country, the most rigorous apologetics has been done by uh, evangelicals uh, who uh, Tend to be very biblical in their approach, and, and that's fine so far as it goes, but uh, it uh, sort of falls short as far as Catholics are concerned. They, they want to know more about uh, uh, the church, and, and uh, so uh, the sheer, mere biblical apologetics is, uh, brings them only part way, I would say. And uh, we have the, the living testimony of the church. Inviting us to enter into a community of faith, and uh, I think uh, that has been uh, very well, uh, uh, very well explained uh, by some modern pop
2: Catholic apologists. Yeah. It's a real danger, isn't there, Your Eminence, when we rest in this new wave of apologetics in the last, say, twenty years, where we rely very heavily on reasoning, which almost becomes debate-like in its tactics, in discussing the faith, and overlooking what you've said is that importance of testimony.
1: Yes. I I think that uh, that is usually a crucial factor. Uh, Sometimes it's the living testimony of people we encounter Themselves exemplify uh, what it means to be a, uh, a convinced Christian who really lives his faith or faith. And uh, that, I think, inspires more conversions than books do, although both in combination often work together. But uh, then when you look at it, uh, uh, even historically, I would say the scriptures represent Christian testimony at its very best. Uh, the New Testament, if you read the writings of Paul and John and so forth, you you feel you have a, a living witness who has experienced the power of faith, and it isn't so much the evidence they give uh, as the uh, uh, power of the, of the testimony to say, this has given me... Uh, Uh, what should we say, joy in life, gold in life, uh, something worth holding on to and making sacrifices for. Uh, It's that kind of testimony that grabs
2: people, I think, and, and brings them into the community of faith. It's interesting you should say that, Your Eminence, because the thing is that I've always noticed, even though the New Testament contains different theologies, essentially, coming from different viewpoints, different stories, they all have the same vision of Christ.
1: Yes, exactly. And I think the, the fact that it's filtered through people of different temperaments, different backgrounds, different cultures, uh, adds to the power of the testimony that they all nevertheless uh, see Christ as uh, you know sort of the absolute sole Lord to, to whom uh, all power is given. It's the centrality of Christ. It's, it comes through all the New Testament writings.
2: It's always been so prominent in your teachings, Your Eminence. Is the goal is always conversion?
1: Yeah, yeah. And conversion is—it's a, a—it's a kind of a leap, you know. It's a, a logical leap. It's not just a conclusion from premises that one already has, but. It's a whole new perspective, a whole new point of view. And uh, I think that conversion requires that. If you're just uh, figuring things out from your own previous non-believing point of view, you might get some tentative uh, conviction, but not, not really, uh, uh, what should we say, not really a, an act of faith.
2: So conversion and faith go together. And that's what's so compelling about the New Testament narratives, just in their essence that these common folk were so completely transformed.
1: Yes, yes. You know, I think a great witness is always somebody who's been transformed by the gospel. You feel the power of the gospel at work in them and through them.
2: I think you've said that it's uh, the living testimony of believers It's hard to debunk that. You can argue with evidence, but when you have someone's personal testimony, how do you debunk that?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's exactly the case, I think. And uh, Newman understood that pretty well. He said, with arguments, you're always kind of at the mercy of some new objection that you didn't think of. You say, well, you know, maybe there's something I overlooked and so forth it will only arrives at a kind of tentative conclusion. But uh, testimony really uh, can bring us to uh, a a conversion and a firm act of faith. That's that's what
2: Christ is calling for. I think the response of Catholic apologists over the last 20 years, I think we learned early, we didn't have a solid education in our own faith, a strong catechesis. So, we ended up relying on proof text to kind of even educate ourselves. Yeah. But to really be strong apologists, you're really calling us to have that tool, but rely a lot on our own faith experience and testimony.
1: Mm-hmm. I also do think that there's room for a more conventional kind of apologetics and answering objections somebody has problems on the historicity of the gospels or something like that uh, uh, some difficulties coming out of science or wherever philosophy they, they have to be answered on their own terms to show that their objections are not conclusive but uh, so that kind of work always has its
0: usefulness uh, Your Eminence, I wanted to uh, to shift just a moment to our late Holy Father, John Paul II. Of course, uh, you've written extensively on John Paul II. Uh, he challenged uh, Catholics to engage in what he called a new evangelization, in large part Catholic radios in existence, to help with that. I wonder if you could explain to our listeners, what is the relationship between this uh, evangelization and apologetics? Well, I
1: would say the evangelization essentially consists in the proclamation of the Christian message, uh, so it's not simply apologetics. On the other hand, if you're going to proclaim that, you have to proclaim it credibly and be able to give reasons, you give people reasons why they ought to accept it as uh, the Word of God is coming from God. Uh, so uh, you have to call attention to the signs that God has given in history to uh, demonstrate the validity of the Christian message. Uh, so that apologetics is an aspect of, uh, of proclamation, but it's not the whole thing. Mm-hmm. So, And uh, John Paul II uh, has a certain amount of apologetics, it seems to me, in some of his books, like the Crossing the Threshold of Faith, where he gives his reasons for believing in the existence of God and uh, believing in Christianity in spite of the multiplicity of religions things
2: like that we've talked to author joseph pierce who is a professor at ave maria and he's talked about a cultural apologetics that there's a witness and a testimony that can be accomplished through literature and art and various forms of expression like that do you see that as well oh absolutely
1: yes i would say i myself was very much influenced by that as a as a young kid, a young teenager, I visited Italy, for example, and saw all the cathedrals and the art galleries, and was immensely impressed uh, by the power of the church to sustain a culture that would be one in which uh, uh, beauty uh, uh, could be produced by great artists, and then later i Read the literature of the Middle Ages, things like the Divine Comedy of Dante, and saw how a rich literature could grow out of uh, Catholic faith. So I think it's a, the, the ability of the Catholic Church to sustain a many faceted culture uh, is one of the strongest arguments in favor of it. Not to mention philosophy, I mean, the philosophy of Thomas Aquinas and people absolutely astonishing for its depth and wisdom, and uh,
2: that is in perfect harmony with Catholic faith. I have always loved your works, Cardinal Dulles, and I consider it a blessing with the publication of A History of Apologetics. I entered it thinking I would be reading a history book, but I ended up reading A Great Testament of Faith, and I truly appreciate your work, and everything that you've offered in a very humble way. I I thank you so much.
1: Well, thank you. I hope many feel that
2: way. (laughs) I'm sure they will.
0: (laughs) All Your Eminence, we want to thank you very, very much for uh, taking time out of what must certainly be a a very busy schedule to uh, spend time talking with us here this morning. We appreciate it. It's
1: been my pleasure to talk
2: with you.